This is the Activate Podcast with Pastor Christian Newsom. In this week's podcast, but but he he is here and he is near. And what we talked about sitting at the base of the mountain, sometimes we can think what's next instead of looking at who's near. Well, welcome to the Activate Podcast with Pastor Christian Newsom, a ministry resource of Journey Church International. My name is Ryan, and I'm glad you're joining us today on the podcast this Sunday. Pastor Christian continued his series, The Waiting Room, where we've uh, been attempting to answer this question, what do we do when we don't know what to do? And we're, we're still in a time of isolation and social distancing because of COVID-19, so we're, we're coming to many of you. Uh, we know you're listening at home, and so uh, please know we're praying for you and we're here for you to offer encouragement. If, you, if Journey can offer you any support uh, for you during this time, please don't hesitate to reach out to us by sending us an email at activate at takethejourney.cc. I'm here with Pastor Christian, and we're glad you've tuned in. Uh, Pastor Christian, your sermon on Sunday was based on the Bible text from Exodus chapter 32. Exodus 32 shares the biblical story of Moses on the mountain with God. And while he's up there, uh, the people get a little restless. Aaron comes up with this plan to, to build a golden calf. Uh, can you answer the question, what I think maybe many people are wondering, what was Aaron thinking? Yeah, so that I think that's the easiest question on the podcast that anyone has ever asked me because the answer is I have no clue. Right? I mean, I, I, I don't know what Aaron was thinking, but as you, as you just, as you walk through that whole story, right? All of scripture has to be in context. So as you walk, as you walk through the complete story of Aaron and Moses and even his sister Miriam, we know after this that Aaron and Miriam would challenge Moses' leadership. That they would say, you're not, you're not the only one who can make decisions. You're not, you're not the only one who's close to God. You're not the only one who has a, a spiritual mindset. Uh, I'm not saying Aaron was in total rebellion, but we know, we know in his spirit was the DNA of thinking Moses doesn't have to make all the decisions. I think if we, if we would, if you and I would fast forward a week. So today we're talking about Moses and his, his season of 40 days. Next week we'll be talking about Elijah and his season of 40 days. And one of the things we learn from Elijah is is the power of community, the danger of isolation. Um, Aaron Aaron had lost his his spiritual partner. I mean, this is probably the first time in years that Aaron had gone even two or three weeks without someone that, to check him, without someone to encourage him, without someone to say it's going to be okay. I, so I I think we see a little bit of the power of community and leadership, how important it is to have your Moses or your Aaron beside you because every moment there's a critical decision that could go wrong and, and to be out on your own, I think is a dangerous thing. So I think there's a, there's certainly a spiritual picture we learn from there. And I think the pressure of the people, I mean, you know, the, the pressure of the people was, um, was outstanding on Aaron. I mean, you, you've got probably 2 million people, that are now looking to him saying, what do we, what do we do now? And you have Aaron saying, I, you know, I have, I have no idea, but in, but in my past, um, you know, I, I know people worship stuff like this. So maybe, um, you know, maybe we can just create a God and we can create a God that will give us comfort. And Ryan, I see a lot of that happening in the church today in 2020. Uh, remember Tim Keller says, if you have a God who never disagrees with you, um, your God, I still see a lot of people trying to create a God for the journey they want to take um, and saying, hey, this, uh, you know, 
I know that God on the mountain looks one way. I, I kind of like things this way. So I, I think there's a bunch of human nature in Aaron that's, that's in all of us from peer pressure to needing strong accountability, um, to wanting to do things our own way. I, I think what you see in Aaron is you see someone who's very, very human, um, and needed a huge dose of grace. Like, like you and I do every day. Probably if you were to put me in the story, I'd probably look a whole lot more like Aaron than Moses, unfortunately, internally. Um, sometimes I feel a lot like Aaron. I, I better figure something out to, to help the people move because I feel like things are getting restless instead of being able to rest on the mountain with God like, like Moses did. I think it's another great example in the Bible that God doesn't hold back the failures and the mistakes and the missteps yeah. of people. And then yeah. you see the great grace that God later used Aaron in a powerful way to help lead the people. So what, uh, what grace shown in that situation. Um, you make a statement in talking about waiting room wars. Uh, you make this statement, un- and it's an uncomfortable theory. And as I heard it, I certainly cringed as well. Your impatience may be a sign that you're unspiritual. Why, why is impatience such a challenge for so many of us today? I, I, believe me, I, as you told those stories, I saw myself in so many of them. Yeah, so re- remember, that's what a counselor said to me uh, as he heard my story of just frustration that the whole world does not move at my pace, you know, and he said, you know, Christian, could it be, you know, it's not, a, this isn't a spiritual truth, but there, there is some spiritual truth in this. Could it be that your impatience is a sign of your, um, unspirituality? It's like, Ooh, um, po- possibly because when the spirit is in control, one of the things you have is patience, love, joy, peace, patience. So if I do not have patience, certainly there's an area in my life that the Holy Spirit doesn't have control over. Why do we live in a world with so much impatience? Let me, let me start with how the world was created, and I think that will answer the question. So in the beginning, God created the heavens um, and the earth. And the way he created them on day one, he said, let there be light. And it says there was evening and there was morning the first day. And then on day two, he created an expanse of air, you know, between the, the waters above from the waters below. And then eventually he would, you know, create animals in the water. He'd create plants on land. He'd, he'd create on day four the sun and the moon and the stars and everything that hangs in the sky. On day six, he would create all the land mammals. He would create Adam and Eve. And every day it would say there was evening and there was morning the first day. The Jewish concept of the day begins at sundown. And when I say sundown, for guys like us who have been to Israel, when you can see the first star in the sky, the next, the next day has begun. So the way God designed the day, when you look at the, when you look at the Jewish day, the way God designed a day was the very first thing you would do. The very first thing you would do every day is stop working. The next thing you would do is have a meal with your family. The next thing you would do is rest. And then when you had done the most important things, you would wake up and do everything else too. And that, and that would be your day. You would start with rest, with family, um, with the most important things, and then you would do everything else. You say, why do I think everyone seems to be impatient? Because we flip the world upside down. And we have said, the day begins, the miniature alarm clock sounds, the day begins, your feet hit the floor, and you run like crazy. And if you're lucky, by the end of the day, you'll stop and have a meal with your family. You'll enjoy some time thinking about God, um, and you might rest a little bit. And the reality is none of us have enough time with our family. None of us rest enough. I mean, just if you, if you just look at statistics, right? I'm not even talking about Bible stuff. Just look at sociology. Uh, the amount of families that fall apart, more than half. 
Um, look at sleep deprivation in our country. They say it's, you know, one of the worst mental health crises that there is. Just nobody gets enough sleep and it leads to all of these, um, other diseases. Uh, and we know just by people's stress levels that they're not living at peace spiritually. I think everyone is living in what appears to be such a state of impatience because they've turned the world upside down and they cannot, they cannot get to the things that are most important that were meant to restore their soul every day, all day. One day at a time, um, we've tacked the important things on the back end instead of the front end. Um, and God's, God's kind of saying, this is what it feels like to live upside down, always trying to catch your breath instead of breathing deeply the way God designed you to live. And I think it, when guys like you and I, who are trying to be <laughs> spiritual guys, are trying to stay as close to Jesus as we can, I think it just makes it obvious it's not easy. It's a moment by moment every day trying to walk in the, in the spirit and not in the flesh. And more than that, it's a fight against culture. I mean, culture culture doesn't really allow that. I mean, to, to tell every to, just tell everyone in your life, hey, when the first star comes out at night, I'm stopping for the day, and watch how quick you get fired. Watch how quick your kid gets kicked off the sports team. Watch how quick your spouse looks at you and thinks you're out of your mind. It's really, really hard. Yeah. Uh, but if you can if you can lean into it, if you can lead your family into it. I think you can probably live with the patience that God wants you to want you to have, which will allow you to live with the spirit that God wants you to have. Yeah. You know, the second waiting room war you mentioned is focusing on the present rather than on your purpose. The last thing God wants really for his, for the church, and I say the big C church, and uh, or for his people is to sit back and do nothing or get caught up in sin. You, you, you spent some time talking with that about that in your message during really during this season for time to be wasted. What do you, what do you think God wants his people to do in this crucial time in our history? So I, you know, I, I can't, I can't answer that with, with truth that sits alongside scripture, but I know God always wants his people to pray. I know God always wants his people to seek his face. I know God always wants his people to go and make disciples of all nations, teaching them who he is, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. I know God always, when Jesus showed up at a town, uh, there would be teaching on how to walk with God. There would be preaching on how to connect with God. There would be healing of the sicknesses and the Ill illnesses uh, and the things going on in the village, and, the, and there would be great community. I know God wants all of those things done all the time. Um, I know God wants people to know him. I want, I know God wants people to be transformed, to be more like Jesus. I know Pete, God wants people to find their purpose and make a difference. I, you know, I would say those are things every day, all day, in every era of history, in every area of the world that God wants his people to be like. I know God wants his people always to press out spiritual fruit, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. I mean, those are the things every day, all day, in every part of the world, in every era of history that God wants people to show. And I, I think if we would just do the normal things, because some are not yet, in this season of coronavirus, if we would just do the normal things, pray, seek God, worship, love people, serve people, um, let the fruit of the Spirit come out of your life, I, I, think, I, think that, I think that would be good enough. And I think we, you know, I think we keep our, our ear in the Word. I think we, we keep our ear to the ground. Um, I think I think we keep our eyes to heaven, and, and then we, and then we look for opportunities one at a time. Where God says, um, "Hey, go 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 pay for their groceries," where God says, um, "Hey, mow their yard," 
where God says, offer to babysit their kids. I still think that, you know, there is divine revelation that's coming where God's speaking directly to our hearts to serve people uh, in specific ways. But but the every the everyday things, God wants us to walk with him, be like him, make a difference for him. And if we would just try to do that every day in every season of life on any continent of the globe, in any season of history, we would be what the church is supposed to be. Yeah, and I think the point you were trying to make in the message is this is not something where sit on the sidelines for the next six months where God's going to look back and say, oh, you're excused. That six months you were supposed to just hide out and not do anything. We are supposed to do all those things. Continue to pray for how God might say, send a text to someone. Send an encouragement. Ask, ask someone to watch the service online. And it, it really, me personally, I probably, I'm sad to say, but I probably had a greater desire to do that this mm-hmm. Easter. Um, and I did it more, and I heard from more fraternity brothers and high school friends. Um, and I'm really glad it happened, but I'm a little bit ashamed I wasn't doing more of it before. Uh, so, yeah, hopefully it'll activate a bunch more people to say, yeah, I need to do, I need to do a better job. You know, one question that many people have is, when, when will Jesus return? Right, a lot. Of, we, we've asked that question. That that's not a question that God it's is going to give question, us. Man, yeah, yeah. It, it, that's not a question that God's going to give us the direct answer to. Why? Because because the Bible tells us He wants to be ready for His return all the time. You quote Dr. Larry Crabb in his great book, right? In uh, and, and some of the dialogue with God he has in this book, sixty six love letters, and you include a question and answer with God, where you know you say, "How long will you leave me in this experience before I hear the song of hope?" And God replies, if I answered your question, you would depend on a timetable more than me. Now, why is it so important for for God's people to live and lead with the mentality that even when they don't know what's next, they know who is near? Well, yeah, if you were to if you were to tell someone, hey, when is Jesus going to come back? And you said 10 days from now. That 10 days would look the next 10 days would look different than if you said 10 years from now. Um, sadly, sadly, there's an urgency to meet Jesus when, when, when we think he's coming. But the reality is through the Holy Spirit, you know, Jesus lives with us every day, all day. If someone had said, Hey, when, when's Jesus coming? I would say now, like now, um, he's, he's already here. Now that's not the, the second coming. That's not what, you know, some theology teaches as the rapture of the church. He's not coming to take all Christians back with him. But but he he is here, and he is near. And what we talked about sitting at the base of the mountain. Sometimes we can think what's next instead of looking at who's near. And I think comfort and peace. What Moses told God in Exodus chapter thirty three is: we are learning to become less obsessed about what's next than with who's near. We're we're with you on whatever timeline, on whatever timetable you've set. We're with you. So if you're here, we're here. If you're there, we're there. Whenever you go, we go. Moses sounded a whole lot like Ruth talking to her mother-in-law, Naomi, where she said, listen, your people are going to be my people. Your God's going to be my God. Where you go, I'll go. I'll sleep when you go to sleep. I'll wake up when you go to, uh, when you wake up. My life is going to be based around you. I think when we ask, when is Jesus going to come back or when is the coronavirus going to lift? We begin to live based on a timetable rather than a person. Uh, and, th- and there's no doubt. I mean, if you, if you were to just ask me very honestly, um, hey, if you knew for sure, like if every governor made a pact, if Dr. Fauci and Dr. Burks made a pact, if the president and the Senate and the Congress and the Supreme Court, like if they all decide, like if they all came across the aisle and decided 
on June 30, everything is going to go back to normal. Would that give you more sense of peace than knowing between now and June 30, Jesus is in charge every day? And sadly, the answer would be, yeah, I'd probably have more comfort and feel like I had more direction and more control if I knew when it was going to be over rather than knowing who's with me in the process. And, and I think sometimes Jesus lets seasons linger so that we will learn that lesson and care a lot less about what's next and a lot more about who's near. Yeah. And, I, and I think Moses, Moses' 40 days helped teach us that lesson. And again, that's why we want you to be tuning in to messages from Pastor Christian or this podcast. We're trying to help you evaluate and activate your faith so that you can turn over more control of your life to Jesus, so that you're not worried so much about the timetable as much as you are knowing literally that Jesus is going to be with you during all of it. You know, as you close out your message Sunday, you equipped us with a waiting room worship tool, um, kind of what I'm calling it. You, you began to explain God's amazing plan to tabernacle with us, to be with us, and, and you gave us a Pentecost challenge. Can you speak more to this thought of tabernacle and, you know, and God with us, including details of this 40-day Pentecost challenge you equipped us with? Yeah, so we, you know, we're living with Moses in his in his forty day journey. That was really two two periods of forty days on the mountain with God, and he asked him in Exodus thirty three fifteen, "Hey, I need to know you're with us. What's going to give us peace is knowing that you're with us." And what resulted from that question one was the word. You know, God began to give him. A, we we think a history of the world. That, so the the word and the direction of God, but then the physical tabernacle that would show the people of Israel if they would look up. That, hey, I'm, I'm, I am right through the tabernacle. I'm right in your midst. So God said, I'm going to give you the word to follow. I'm going to give you the tabernacle to see, to know I'm near. And that should be enough. And Moses said, please show me your glory. Like, let me feel you through those things, your word and the tabernacle. I, I really think John had that backdrop in mind when he wrote John 114, the word became flesh and tabernacled among us. That conversation where Moses, said the word and the tabernacle will allow us to know God and see God. John said what Moses was asking for to know God and see God happened in Jesus. And when we, and when we just look at the structure of the tabernacle, all we see is Jesus. First, the only people that were allowed to go into the tabernacle were the priest. They were not elected. They were chosen by God to represent the people before God. God said, you're going to be mediators between me and the people. The only person really allowed inside the Holy of Holies and only once a year was the high priest. Again, very specifically chosen by God. God said, I'm going to choose a representative to stand between me and the people on behalf of the people, but he will represent me in his holiness. When you look at the high priest, that's a picture of Jesus. Now let's now let's take a trip into the tabernacle. So you walk through the outer court of the tabernacle. I'm I'm a priest walking into the tabernacle. The first thing I have to do is wash my hands and feet at the basin of water. Those basins were filled with bronze mirrors. So I walk in as a priest and I go to wash the dirt off of me and as I look in I I see my filth, I see my dirt, but that water, that that basin cleanses me from what the world has left on me. That water is a picture of Jesus. And then I go over to the altar and I take a lamb and I sacrifice the lamb on the altar. Both the altar and the lamb are pictures of Jesus. Then I have to go back to the base and now I don't have 
the stain of the world on me. Now I've got the blood of the lamb on me. Again, a picture of Jesus, but it's washed off me. Then I go inside the holy place, not the most holy place. And to my right side, there's the, the bread, uh, the bread of the presence that's been sitting there. You know, six loaves stacked right beside each other, two stacks of six that were put out every Shabbat to remind the people that God provided bread for them in the wilderness. And you remember Jesus saying in John 8, 12, I am, um, I am the, the bread of life. You on the left hand side have the menorah that was lit every morning and every evening so that there would be light to light the way to the holiest place where God was. And Jesus says, I am the light of the world. You walk in a little further and against the drape that, cel- that separated the holy place from the most holy place. You see an incense altar where, where you would light prayers and your prayers would be symbolized as always drifting up. The incense altar not only would fill the place with the sweet aroma. Scripture tells us that we are the aroma of Christ, of life to people, but the prayers would ascend up. And we're told in John 8, 26, that that's the Holy Spirit who carries our prayers up to heaven. We walk behind the veil, the veil, by the way, which was torn, the veil that separated humanity from the mercy, from the forgiveness, from the life that God has for us. Jesus tore that veil on the cross. And then you go back behind and you see the mercy seat. Jesus is the place we sit down in mercy. You see the law of God, which could not be kept, but by the person that tore the veil to go in. You see inside the first Ark of the Covenant that was ever built, the manna that descended from heaven. And we realize Jesus is the one who sustains us. We see the rod of Aaron that would have been there, that would have budded, remembering that Jesus is the one who produces life from death. Everything in the tabernacle, everything in the tabernacle was a picture of Jesus, the word became flesh and it tabernacled among us. Why? Because Moses asked, we want to see your glory. And what did John say in John 1, 14? The word became flesh, it tabernacled among us. We have beheld his glory. We have felt, seen, touched God through the person of Jesus. Moses had asked for it thousands of years earlier. And now here comes Jesus. Everything in the tabernacle, everything and everyone in the tabernacle is a picture of Jesus and what he does for us. And so as we get to do this 40-day challenge, boy, we're going to be unpacking the scriptures every day. And getting a chance to, to really see Jesus come to light. Yep. And that's um, the goal of the Pentecost challenge, right? To read through the books of Luke and Acts. Luke is the story of the life and ministry of Jesus. Acts is the story of the life and ministry of Jesus' followers, his church. So what we're going to do every day is, is we're going to read and we're going to say, okay, what do we see about Jesus? What do we learn about Jesus? What makes us want to worship Jesus um, through this text? And every day, just, just try to see the face of Jesus because we don't know what's next. I mean, you know, the, the deadline keeps getting pushed back. We, you know, we don't, we don't know what's next. We don't know when anything will feel normal, but we do know who's near. And if we can press in and see his face every day, it makes all the difference in the world. Well, those of you who may be watching this on YouTube would get a chance to see that uh, I'm, I'm sitting here face-to-face with Pastor Christian. There were no notes there that he was referring to as he just pretty much reiterated the entire Bible and how Jesus <laughs> came about. So I'm ever amazed, and I thank you for... Uh, continuing to equip the listeners, uh, our church, um, with um, not only knowledge of Scripture, but really practical tools that help us. So I'm thankful you've, uh, you've allowed us to be stronger in our faith. And those who are listening, man, continue to stay in the Word and continue to stay close to Jesus. And I'm glad you're listening because that's what we're trying to do. We're here to help you um, really uh, understand a way to make your faith practical. So we want to thank you for for listening today from wherever you are around the world. Again, we 
We want to uh, encourage you to be sure to tune in to our services on Sunday, either on Facebook Live, uh, on YouTube, the JCI app, or on takethejourney.cc. Uh, we'd love to hear how God's working in your life. Uh, you can email us at activate at takethejourney.cc, and we look forward to catching you next time on the Activate Podcast, where we challenge you to build a faith that is active. Thank you for listening to Activate with Pastor Christian Newsom, a podcast of Journey Church International. If you are ever in the Kansas City area, we would love for you to join us for one of our Sunday worship experiences. You can find out more information about JCI on our website at takethejourney.cc. If you have enjoyed this podcast, please show your support by subscribing, rating, and reviewing on iTunes or Google Play. We would love for you to help us get the word out about this resource. Don't forget to share this episode with all your friends on social media. Thanks again for listening, and we will catch you next time on the Activate Podcast.